If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 24. And hold your finger on all of those pages. uh, And we're going to flip through there uh, this morning together. Looking at the entire story and portrait uh, of Abraham. Uh, As you're turning there, let me uh, encourage you to, uh, as always, be praying for the country that we prayed for uh, on Sunday mornings, um, especially this week and the following week for Latvia, um, because what what you may not have heard in Veronica's words was that they are still doing a camp this year. We're just not going to be there. Uh, Last-minute plans, uh, we are going to help them pull off their own camp, and so we've been uh, meeting on Zoom together with leaders Uh, There was another Zoom meeting this morning, and they're gathering local leaders. Uh, I'm going to do a little intro to camp. Another uh, uh, Latvian pastor is going to be teaching some sessions. But would you continue praying for Latvia and the the students of Tulsi Christian School uh, this week and next week as they uh, move towards having a camp there uh, in their facility? It will be smaller Uh, more intimate because of the restrictions that they have in that country, uh, which is why we are unable to go. Um, But I just want to ask you to keep praying for them as they're preparing for that, okay? All right, Genesis chapter 12. Um, We were singing that song, um, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust thee, Um, how I've proved him or and or, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I was realizing even in my own life, and it's probably true of Abraham, he could have sang that song well uh, at times. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. But it would have been just as easy for Abraham and for us to have sung the song, Jesus, Jesus, how I've doubted. And how we, like Abraham, go from trust and faith and belief and obedience to doubt and forgetfulness and disobedience. Uh, We're going to see that in Abraham's life. Um, But I think if we would do a little introspection in our own life, we would see uh, we are very much like Abraham. Men and women of faith, yes, but at times, uh, men and women of disbelief and of doubt. Uh, That's what we want to see in this passage, and and that's what we're going to be spending the next four weeks doing, um, looking at portraits of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, as the rest of the book of Genesis uh, tells us, Uh, myself, uh, Pastor Ed, Uh, James and uh, Pastor Graham are going to be preaching these over the next four weeks, and so we hope that you will join us in looking at those four portraits uh, of these men and their stories that are told in Genesis, but uh, what we really want you to see is one portrait. Yeah, there's going to be portraits of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, but what we really want you to see at the end of those four portraits is, is one portrait of one God, uh, of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Joseph, and how even as some of these men are faithful at times and faithless at times, God is faithful. That's what we want you to leave with at the end of these four weeks is uh, through the four portraits of these men to see one great portrait of a God who is faithful. Faithful to his promises then, faithful to his promises now. Uh, So faithful, he is deserving of our trust, and we ought to give it to him. Um, Not just for salvation. Yes and amen, for salvation. We ought to trust Jesus Christ, uh, the Lord God himself, for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins. But we ought to also trust him with our life Uh, as our faith is lived out day by day. We ought to to trust him. 
So let's, let's look in, in Genesis 12. We'll begin there, and uh, we're just going to flip. I'm going to read a little bit in sections. Sometimes I'm just going to overview at different times, and uh, we want you to see this, this balance between belief and trust, uh, as well as at times uh, a lack of belief and a lack of trust, and yet the Lord being faithful. The story of Abraham is one of uh, a man who at times walked by faith and at times walked by sight. And he didn't walk by faith in the promises, he walked by what he could see in front of him and acted upon what he could see. And again, I think that's true of ourselves in our own life. There are times when we walk by faith and there are times when we walk by sight. And in the end, what I want you to, to hear, what I want you to remember is that if we're saved by grace through faith, then we ought to also live by grace through faith. If, as we just sung from Ephesians chapter 2, as Paul makes clear uh, in that chapter, that we are saved by grace through faith once and for all, then we ought to also live by grace through faith. It, we ought not to be saved by grace through faith and then live by works uh, in order to please the Lord, but to know that the Lord is pleased in Christ alone, uh, and, and we ought to live by grace through faith uh, in Him. But not only, not only to live by grace through faith, but to also note that if we are not saved by good works but instead for good works, then our faith ought to lead us to good works. We're going to see in Abraham's life that he was not saved by good works, but he was saved for good works. And that ought to be true in our lives as well, even more so in in Jesus Christ. And I thought this definition by Jerry Bridges was helpful regarding faith. He, He simply says that faith is obeying God and trusting Him for the results. Uh, You might want to note that down when you're considering Abraham's life and judging whether or not he was faithful or faithless. Uh, That faith is obeying God and trusting Him for the results. That might also be helpful in considering your life. Are you being faithful to God or faithless? Are you obeying God and trusting Him with the results or following your own way and trying to manage results yourself with your own hands, with your own minds, with your own words? Uh, I I think that will be helpful. Uh, Faith is one of those things that when we're uh, attempting to live by faith, we would love to be able to see 10 steps ahead. And we would love to be able to know when God says, go and do and say that this person's going to come to faith and they're going to be baptized and join the church and become uh, a deacon in the church and they're going to, you know, be an evangelist. And we want to know how it goes. And if we knew all of that, then we might say, then it would be a little easier to, you know, walk by faith. Or or go and, and give this portion of money or give this portion of time out of your calendar or give this to share with others and and we would love to do that we just kind of want to know well is that is that person that I'm giving money to gonna are they, what are they gonna buy with that are, are they gonna you know use it rightly or if I give my time are, are people gonna be thankful because I'd really want people to thank be thankful and pat me on the back or this, that, or the other. We would love to know that, but that's not faith. That's walking by sight, not by faith. And we see in Abraham's life that there are uh, no steps ahead, uh, really. There may be like a destination way far in the future that Abraham knows is out there, uh, but he doesn't know how he's going to eventually get there. And in fact, he never actually gets there it's his generations after him that eventually get there. Uh, faith is, is like crossing a river with only one stone in front of you. 
And, and another stone won't show itself until you step out on that first one and wait for the next one to pop in front of you. Or, or like an unfolding map. Uh, you know what a map is? A map is that piece of paper that you used to open up in the car and blind yourself while you were driving. Uh, not the pinch and zoom one, but the unfolding map that uh, you would get to the end of the map and have to unfold another section of it to be able to see where the highway continues and what's on the, the side of that. It, it's like that, and, and yet God's the one who unfolds the map. And that we've got to this certain point by faith, and we're waiting on the Lord to open the map on the other side to be able to continue on. Well, that's what Abraham experiences. That's what we experience. And we ended last week looking at this uh, crucial passage in Genesis chapter 12 that really sets the trajectory for not only the rest of Genesis, but the rest of the entire Bible, um, that God would make good on this promise to bless Abraham and to make him a, a great nation, to bless him and to make his name great so that he could be a blessing um, to everyone else, to all the other nations. We saw that in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, and, and this being called the, uh, the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, and then right after that, we saw really the first test that Abraham experienced. And, and really, if you're taking notes, I don't have a ton of notes for you this morning, but I do have these two words that you could kind of jot down under either the word covenant and or the word test. Uh, different passages that we're going to be going through uh, in Abraham's life is a back and forth between the Lord affirming his covenant versus putting Abraham to the test and giving him an opportunity to believe those things. And so maybe you would write each of these passages uh, in Genesis underneath uh, covenant or write them underneath uh, test to see whether or not uh, Abraham is faithful. Well, Genesis 12, 1 through 3 would go under the word covenant uh, because this is where the Lord speaks. The Lord makes his promise to Abraham and to, to all of those after him. And then Genesis 12, uh, 4 through 9, we see the first test. And we read in verse 4, so Abram went the Lord told him in verse 1 to go, and in verse 4 we see that Abram went. He walked by faith. He believed the Lord. He trusted uh, the Lord. He obeyed the Lord and trusted the Lord with the results, right? He, he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what would happen when he got there. He just went. And as he went, he worshiped. And he praised the Lord. He built altars to the Lord there in that passage. And, and this, is, this is huge. Uh, this is the first great step of faith. And, and oftentimes faith journeys start with one great leap of faith. And as we get on to that journey with the Lord, we, we find ourselves lacking trust at times, gaining trust at times, back and forth. And Abraham's great journey of faith started with one great leap of faith, leaving. And it would be like, and I'm about to do this essentially, but uh, it would be like Abraham renting a giant U-Haul and packing it up with all of his stuff and setting out on a journey but not knowing where he's going. Now in a couple of weeks, our family's moving homes and I rented a U-Haul last night in light of this illustration, okay? And Yet, I know exactly where I'm going. Now, if I were to come to my wife and kids and say, now, you remember those plans? Yeah, kind of like wipe those out. We're just going to pack that U-Haul and go for it. We're just going to go for it. Now, that would be irresponsible to uh, my family. That would be irresponsible to you as a church uh, and, and so on and so forth. But I want you to imagine packing up everything, putting it on a U-Haul, and just getting behind the driver's seat and say, Lord, Right or left, or straight. If you, I can go in reverse too. But which which way do you want me to go? And trusting the Lord with that. This is what Abraham did in that giant leap 
of faith when he, when he acted. This is what I, I read last week from Hebrews chapter 11, what the writer of Hebrews says regarding that moment. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has a foundation, uh, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so Abraham steps out in faith, and he trusts the Lord with the results, but very quickly we get to another test in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 through 20. The second test for Abram there is one of a famine, a very immediate need in his life and uh, his wife's life, uh, their life whom God has promised them a child that they have not had yet to this point, so you would see why a famine uh, would threaten that promise. If Abraham dies because of hunger, if Sarah dies because of hunger, then that promise is unable to be fulfilled in a child uh, between the two of them. And, And you can understand why Abraham might in that moment want to take matters into his own hands, which he does. He flees from that land to Egypt, and when he gets there, um, to protect himself, he tells Pharaoh in Egypt that Sarah is his sister, not his wife, so that uh, they would not kill him for her. And so here, Abram flees to protect, to provide food for himself and his family, uh, In one sense, trying to uh, provide for his family with his own hands, by his own means. And then when he gets to Egypt, protecting his own family, protecting that promise uh, by doing something that I think the Lord would not have him do, which was lie. Now, just remember that story because it's going to, that same situation is going to come up again and we're going to see whether or not Abraham uh, learns his lesson I would put that not under the, uh, the not under the category of Abraham believing uh, or obeying, but Abraham doubting uh, as he flees to Egypt in the midst of the famine and takes protection of this promise in his own hands. Right after that, in Genesis 13, we see another test, another opportunity in 13, 1 through 13, uh, where. Uh, a division of land is put before Abram. And here it seems as if Abraham believes the Lord and the promises that God has for him. When he and Sarah and his nephew Lot uh, come back from Egypt, back towards the promised land, and yet the two families together are too much for that one area of land to live together. And rather than taking matters into his own hands and saying, okay, God made me the promise, so I'm going to take the best land and I'm going to take this portion for me and you're going to be able to have this other little portion over here, he says, Lord, I trust you. And if you've promised this to me, you'll give this to me, whatever I want. And so he lets Lot choose. Where do you want to go? What portion of the land do you want? What direction do you want to go in? And he lets Lot choose first, and he takes the results of that. And the Lord honors that. The Lord honors it greatly, and Abram worships the the Lord in that. We see in that test that Abraham believes. He remembers the promise that God made to him in Genesis chapter 12 of him having lands and uh, lands in uh, these foreign lands, a land promised to him by the Lord. And he trusts the Lord to be able to, to give it to him. And then we see right after that, uh, not another test, but a covenant. We see a, a, a renewal of the covenant that God made in Genesis 12, in Genesis 13, 14 through 18. Uh, let me just read it for you there. In Genesis 13, 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, 
Lift up your eyes and look from the place you, where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the, all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Listen to the eyes. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. He tells him, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Uh, the Lord is so kind. The Lord is so kind. In the midst of Abram attempting to walk by faith and then falling short uh, and disobeying and then attempting to walk by faith again, the Lord is so kind to draw near to him, to speak once again to him, to renew and remind him of the promise that he had made previously. The same thing. This time, giving him a, another reminder, another image, if you will, for Abram to have in the back of his mind an image of dust. And can you imagine Abram in the midst of the Middle East with plenty of dust and sand for the Lord to say, count the dust around you. Count the grains of sand around you. If you can count the dust around you in the Middle East, then you can count the amount of descendants that you're going to have. Abram giving a very visible reminder of this promise before him there in that promised land and, and how kind the Lord is to him. Let's think about this in our own life. Those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you've been saved by grace through faith and are attempting yourself to walk by faith, to live by faith. You yourself having times when you have walked by faith and times when you haven't walked by faith and instead have walked by sight. How kind is the Lord to you every so often to remind you of his promises? When you come on Sunday morning to be reminded again through song that you've been saved by grace through faith. And even though you messed up this week, you can remember that God's love for you was not based on your righteousness, your works, your goodness. But in spite of your sin, he loved you still. And you're reminded of that in that moment. You are encouraged. You remember your identity as a son and a daughter of Christ. You stand back up to walk by faith in him because of what he has done for you. How kind is the Lord to give you, not, not for you to have to wait, Christian, for the Lord to speak audibly to you at a moment of time, but for you to be able to carry around the very Word of God. I've heard it said that if you want to hear God speak audibly to you, just open your Bible and read it out loud. And you have God's Word speaking to you right then and there. We don't need a voice from heaven. We have God's very own son who spoke once and for all. And we have his very word right here before us. This is enough. It is sufficient. And this is all we need. And how kind is the Lord to give us, those who speak English, uh, a wonderful, many wonderful translations, many copies of God's word in paper or in digital form, wherever you want. May we hide it in our heart that we might not sin against the Lord. Well, Abram passes that test uh, in 13. He's given a renewal of the covenant. Uh, then he's put to the test again, this time in the midst of war, when five kings go to war against four kings. And uh, the five kingdoms are destroyed by the four kings, and they not only take those kingdoms, but they take Abram's nephew Lot. And so Abram goes to fight for those kingdoms that have been destroyed and to rescue his son Lot. And he, uh, 
He remembers the the promise that the Lord has made, and yet he puts himself in harm's way and goes to fight for what was right, uh, to be able to deliver those who are being uh, oppressed in that moment. And he walks by faith. Abraham believed in Genesis chapter 14. He's put to the test again at the end of Genesis 14 in verses 17 through 24. At the end of that war, when he took the spoils of all of those other kingdoms who oppressed those other people, he's given an opportunity uh, to use it rightly. And there's a a priest, uh, a priest who's also a king. His name is Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem. And not only a king, but a priest. And it says in chapter 14, verse 19, he blessed him. He, that is Melchizedek, blessed him, that is Abram. Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what does it say right after that? And Abram gave him, that is Melchizedek, a tenth of everything. Everything that he had after that war, all of the the bounty that he had received to himself, he gave it away. You see the promise of God from Genesis chapter 12 already coming to fruition right here. Didn't it say that God would bless Abram so that he could be a blessing to who? All of the world. All of the other nations. And, and God said, I will bless those who bless you. And I'll curse those who dishonor you. And here Melchizedek is blessing Abraham. And blessing the God of Abraham. And Abraham who could say, God, I worked hard for this. Do you know how many hours I put in for this bounty? Do you realize I put my life at risk going to work last week? And do you know how long I've worked for this job to be able to get into this place, to be able to have this army, to be able to do all these kinds of things? Do I, do I have to give 10%? Do I have to give some of this to this, this guy? And rather than seeing things that way, he said, Lord, you gave me all of this. I'm going to use this to do, as you said, bless all the other nations. And he freely, generously, sacrificially gives 10% of everything that he has to Melchizedek. I, I think you can hear the parallels to our own life in considering the treasures that the Lord has given us. Uh, we having much, much, much more treasure than most of the entire world has. The Lord has made us stewards. The Lord has not only given us treasures financially, but He's given us the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of His very own Son. We are to be stewards of those, to freely give of our financial treasures to any in need so that they might know the treasure of Christ and His salvation from sin and from death. Let us not uh, uh, hold those things to ourselves. Let us not keep those things to ourselves. Let us freely give. Let us freely sacrifice. Let us be generous to others like Abraham was, trusting God's promises that he's making another kingdom, a kingdom where we're not going to be able to take those dollars Take those homes, take those cars, take those gadgets, take those retirements with us. Let's use what the Lord has given us now for eternity's sake. That's what Abram does there. He was blessed and he shows a blessing when he was put to the test. But then again, we have another covenant in 15. In 15, 1 through 21, we see uh, this covenant detailed. You remember how I told you in Genesis 12, he just kind of got a, a destination, a final destination of where he was going, but he didn't get the route there. Uh, even in Genesis 13, he uh, got the promise again and he got a little image 
again, a little bit of reassurance in that. Still didn't know what it was going to look like. But by this point, Abram knows it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. There are going to be moments when my faith is put to the test. And I know I've walked by faith and walked by sight sometimes. Uh, I want to continue to walk by faith better and better to continue to be sanctified in those moments. Well, here in this covenant, uh, he gets even more details in this moment. In 15 verse 1, let me read through verse 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am your reward. And your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me, uh, Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And listen to what it says in verse 6. If, if you haven't underlined that already in your normal Bible reading, now would be a good time to underline Genesis 15, verse 6. It's crucial. And it, it's quoted in the New Testament multiple times. Listen to what it says of Abram. And he believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to Abram as righteousness. The Lord counted Abram righteous because of his belief, not because of his works. The Lord said that Abram, in God's eyes, was righteous, was pure, was holy, was perfect, not because of Abram's work, but because of his faith in a righteous, perfect, holy God. And that's important. This covenant is not only detailed with another image, Another image that, uh, unlike us who live in Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, are unable to see the grandeur of when we look up at nighttime because of all the lights. But imagine Abram in the middle of the Middle East, no lights anywhere in sight except for candles and fires that are burning. And as he looks up to the sky, you know those pictures uh, that when you look up, uh, you, you can see the Milky Way, you know, crossing over. I thought, you know, I'm going to go on a vacation to the desert in the west with no lights and be able to see those things. Uh, and even there, it's, it's hard to see. But trust me, as Abraham, as Abram looks up uh, and he sees those stars, he knows he's unable to count them which means he's going to be unable to count his descendants after him, according to the Lord's promise. But not only is the covenant detailed with more imagery in Genesis 15, it's detailed uh, with more steps ahead, uh, more stones across the river, more unfoldings of the maps than, than ever before. You can read the rest of Genesis 15 later, but the Lord says that from there, uh, in the coming generations, specifically in verse 13, the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. That is a promise 
of what was to come and what we know that happens at the very end of Genesis in the life of Joseph when he goes to Egypt and what happens in the book of Exodus as God's people were in Egypt for 400 years till a time when another Pharaoh arised that didn't know Joseph when he was leader in Egypt uh, and oppressed the people of Israel until the Lord delivered them out in that place. Abram's given details. Now, imagine yourself in Abram's place. Imagine if you're told, okay, on this journey of faith, you're going to be oppressed, you're going to be afflicted, and your grandkids are going to have it way worse than you. But I need you to walk by faith in me. How many of you are taking that first step or, and or are thinking, okay, that's one option. What would be another option, Lord? I'm going to wait here until there's another option for, for you to give me the, uh, you know, another way about this to get to that final destination. But no, there's no other option for Abraham. But here the covenant is, is detailed and Abram walks by faith. Abram's tested again in verse 16. Uh, in chapter 16, time fast forward uh, 11 or so years, 10 years really. At this point, Abram is 86 and Sarai is 76. It's been 10 years since those promises. 10 years and they have yet to have a child of their own. Do you think you might be a little tired of waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promises to you? Do you think you might say, okay, Lord, maybe, maybe I need to you know, jumpstart this dead battery uh, to get this thing rolling again. Maybe I need to jumpstart this thing uh, and help the Lord out a little bit. Well, that's what Sarai thinks. And I would say Abram thinks as well because the Bible says that he listened to Sarai rather than listening to the Lord when his wife said, I can't get pregnant. I want you to lie with my servant and have a child with her. Uh, and maybe the Lord would bless you with a child through her since he won't bless me with a child. And Abram, in that moment of test, when he should have said, no, the promise was for me and you. And whether, if we have to go to our grave, we're going to walk by faith in this promise and let the Lord show himself faithful. He said, you know what? Maybe you're right. See, that seems a little bit easier. We've waited a decade. You're getting pretty old. Sarai, I'm getting even older Let's take matters into our own hands and let's do it our way rather than do it the Lord's way. And so he does. He has a child with Hagar, whose name becomes Ishmael, uh, whom the Lord ends up blessing and promising that he too would have a multitude that would come from him as well. But that's not where the Lord would, that's not how the Lord would bless Abram. That's not the child of promise that the Lord gave uh, to Abram. That was a child of his own works, not a child of, of grace, not a child of promise. And so um, the Lord comes to Abram again in chapter 17, and he, can, he affirms this covenant in 17, 1 through 21. Uh, again, 13 years later after that period, 10 years after the original promises, Abram took matters into his own hands. Thirteen years later, they still have yet to have a child of their own. And you can imagine all the times Abram's thinking, oh, man, another decade. A decade plus three years, and we still have not seen the Lord promise this. But look in, verse, look in chapter 17. Verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Lord, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between you, between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. 
No, no longer shall your, be na- your name be called Abram, which means exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, which means father of a multitude. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout your genera- their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God not only affirms this covenant 13 years later to Abraham um, and, and does so by changing his name so that every time he thinks of his name or someone else calls his name, he's reminded of the promise. He's reminded of the Lord and his covenant. Not only that, but the Lord commands him and gives him a sign of this covenant, of a physical sign, the sign of circumcision. Now, I want you to imagine on that journey of faith, the Lord coming to you when you're 90-something years old saying, here's how I want you to remember this covenant, this promise, Abraham. I want you to go and circumcise yourself and, and, and all of your people in that day. I promise you, you're waiting another decade uh, for another option B at that point. Not necessarily wanting to go forward with that. But here, with that covenant affirmed, Abraham is put to the test and he believes. He believes the Lord and he moves forward in obedience in that moment. He trusts the Lord. He, he obeys the, the, the sign of circumcision. Not only that, but the covenant is reaffirmed to Sarah herself. Um, Even after the Lord promises in the end of 17 to Abram that he would have a child in the next year, uh, he says the same to Sarah or Sarai in chapter 18. And when she hears it, she too, like Abram, laughs. She can't believe it. She doesn't think it's possible at her age uh, in that moment. And yet the New Testament gives, shines light uh, on uh, not just what happens in that moment, but also what happens in the rest of her life. The writer of Hebrews doesn't just write about Abram being a, a hero of our faith, but Sarai being a hero of our faith. And though she laughed in that moment, and they would eventually name their son Laughter, Isaac. This is what the writer of Hebrews says about Sarai during this moment of her life. That by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Um, Sarai is given by the Lord faith to believe this promise. Faith to trust this promise and entrust the Lord with the results. She, she has to go by faith because there is no way she, in her own power, is able to, to pull this off. And so the writer of Hebrews says that she is a woman of faith. And she walks uh, by faith this year of her life, trusting the Lord. We go on from chapter 18 to the end of chapter 18 and in chapter 19 where Abram is put to the test again. And there he intercedes on behalf of others. The Lord revealed to Abram that he was coming down to destroy the city of Sodom. 
a city full of sin and wickedness. And Abram, having a heart for the nations, because of the Lord's promise, not because he liked Sodom, not because he approved of what they did, but because he was believing in the promise of the Lord, that through him he would be a blessing to all nations. And so how did he live that out? He went to the Lord in prayer. He believed the Lord's promise, and he saw that one way that would be fulfilled would, that, would be that he would be a, a person of prayer. And he interceded on behalf of the city of Sodom. And he said, Lord, if there's 50 righteous people there, would you hold back your wrath? And the Lord said, because you interceded, because you believed the promise, I'll hold back my wrath for 50 people. And Abram's like, that was easy. <laughs> that was, I, I, I mean, that was easier than I thought. What about, okay, Lord, wait a second. I spoke too quickly. What about 45? What about for 45 people? For five less people, would you still obliterate the city of Sodom? And the Lord says, okay, for 45. He's like, wow, this thing, prayer works. Um, and, and then he drops it below that, 40. Lord says, sure, 40. 30 is like an auctioneer going 45, 40, 30, you know, back and forth over and over. And finally gets down all the way to 10. If there's 10 righteous people, will you, will you not uh, destroy the city of Sodom? And the Lord says, sure. And the Lord goes into that city, can't even find 10 righteous people there. And yet is faithful to the promise and rescues out of that city four. What four? Lot his wife, and their two children. And even in the midst of that, uh, Lot's wife turns back and looks at the city when she was commanded not to and is destroyed. And his two daughters take matters into their own hands and act immorally and end up bringing about children who become some of the greatest enemies of Israel later on. And yet God is the one who is faithful in that. Uh, Abram believes in that moment and he intercedes. But then in chapter 20, Abram gets to another test of his faith. And there he finds himself in a very similar situation to that that he was in, in Egypt when he told Pharaoh that uh, Sarai was his sister. Here again, he's faced with a very similar situation uh, with Abimelech and in Chapter 20, verse 2, Abram said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Now, truth be told, Abram kind of is his sister, his half-sister, according to chapter 20, verse 12. But no doubt, Abram's um, twisting uh, his words a little bit to be able to manage things in his own hands. He's not trusting the Lord's promise uh, in, that, in that way. Now, as I was considering this this week, I, I thought to myself, come on, Abram. Come on, Abraham. How many times has the promise been reaffirmed? How many times have you heard it? You've been in this place before, and yet you fell into the same trap again and thought to myself, been there, done that. How kind has the Lord been to Remind me of his grace and his forgiveness and his commands towards obedience time and time again. And yet I go back out. I'm not devoted to those things and I'm forgetful of those things. I'm put to the test and rather than walking by faith, I walk by sight and I fall into the same trap. My own, she is my sister. I've got my own, she is my sister. You've got your own, she is my sister. And it's in those moments where we, daily, hourly, weekly, we have the opportunity to come back to hold fast to the promises of the Lord and to walk by faith rather than by sight, to trust the word of the Lord rather than our feelings, rather than uh, what's right before us. We have these opportunities, but Abram doesn't uh, walk by faith in that moment. God, in his kindness, uh, proves 
not only reassures him, not only reaffirms the covenant, uh, not only reminds him of the covenant, he proves the covenant to be true in chapter 21. In chapter 21, 1 through 7, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. We're looking at the portrait of Abraham, but the better portrait is of the Lord. The Lord does as he says he will. And that's what he did in this chapter. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. I think we could rewrite that verse about your life. How many times has the Lord done as he said in your life? How many times has the Lord done as he promised in your life? This afternoon, rewrite Genesis 21, verse 1, in first person for yourself. Write it somewhere where you can see this week. And then make some details underneath it. How has the Lord visit, visited me and done what he said he would do? How has the Lord shown up and fulfilled his promises to me in my life? I've told you before, I've got a, a jar of rocks of all the times he's visited and things written on those rocks as literal stones of remembrance to help me remember that the Lord has been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in the future. Write it out. Look at verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abram, Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called on the name, called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, which means laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, uh, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Who would, who would have said such a thing? I know who. The Lord. He not only did say it, he promised that it would happen. And yet, she says, I have borne him a son in his old age. The Lord fulfills his promise in their life. And every time they look at Isaac, they, can, they are reassured of these promises and can, tr can trust him. Even when the Lord puts Abram to the test in chapter 22. And probably the greatest test he had ever faced up to that point and will ever face after that point. When the Lord put him to the test saying, sacrifice your very own son. That child of promise that after a decade you took matters into your own hands to have a son by another woman. That child of promise that it took another 13, 14 years for me to wait to the perfect time to be able to give him to you. That, that child that I gave you when you were 100 years old, I want you to go up onto the mountain. I want you to sacrifice that child. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me and trust me with the results. And we don't read anything in that story of uh, Genesis chapter 22 of hesitation of doubt. We read of Abraham's faith, of his confidence in the promise of God, that even if Abraham were to sacrifice his son, he believed that God was able to raise him back up from the dead and that that would be how the Lord would fulfill his promise in the end. Even when Isaac, as they're going up the mountain, and I don't think you should picture Isaac uh, being a... a little bitty boy, but a teenager, a young man, 
says, Father, where is the sacrifice? Abram's faith is shown when he says, the Lord will provide. He will. He promised he would. I have heard the Lord say, I will, 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 I will. He will. He will provide. And Abram believes. And the Lord does. Does he not? The Lord provides in that moment a sacrifice in place of Isaac. A substitute. A ram that would take the place uh, and whose blood would be shed in place of Isaac's. A, a picture in that sacrifice of what Jesus Christ would do one day. When we uh, are unable to lay down our own lives as a sacrifice for our own sins, God himself, himself provides his very own son as a sacrifice to be our substitute. When the Bible in the Old Testament countless times says, the Lord says, I will provide a sacrifice for you. I will provide atonement for you. I will provide redemption for you. I will provide reconciliation for you. The Lord makes good on his promise and he sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment for our sin. And he dies on the cross and rises from the, from the dead. The Lord provided a sacrifice in Genesis 22. The Lord provided a sacrifice, an even better sacrifice for us. Not only a sacrifice that saved one child on one day on one mountain, but one sacrifice that provided salvation for all children of all ages on every mountain in every nation under every tribe, every tongue, and every language. And so, yes, this is a, a portrait of Abram, a portrait of Abraham who grew in his faith as he gave glory to God. But it's a better portrait of the Lord who is faithful to his commands. When Abraham, whether Abraham chose to walk by faith or he chose to walk by sight, the Lord was always faithful. Whether Abraham was faithful or faithless, the Lord was always faithful. And I, as I said, the, the New Testament writes about Genesis 15 in two places. It writes about Genesis 15 and what Abra, Abraham did there and, and how the Lord used that in his life. And the first one is in Romans 4. I just want to read a bit of Romans 4. And then I want to jump to James in closing. Paul puts forward the question that we need to ask in Romans 4 verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh or according to the works? For if Abraham was justified or made right by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? And then Paul quotes Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And, and blessed whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Abram was not righteous before God when you simply look at his life. Genesis 12 through 22 make that clear. He was justified. He was made righteous only because of his faith in a righteous 
justifier in a God who was perfect. That's the only reason he was made righteous. And the way that Abraham was blessed was by faith. The same thing that David said. They were blessed there as they quote Psalm 32. They were blessed because of their faith. In the whole passage in Romans chapter 4 goes on to, to say that Abram wasn't blessed because he was circumcised or because he circumcised his children after that. He was blessed. He was made righteous because of his faith. And it sums it up in verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. It depends on faith. Our salvation depends on faith, not on good works. And many of us know that. Many of us have heard that year in and year out, week in and week out. And yet we leave this place and we forget it in our actions, doubting the Lord's love for us, doubting our assurance of salvation, doubting it and falling into sin again not believing the promises of grace, not believing the promises of salvation again. Let this be another reminder. The Lord speaking to you this morning in a special moment to encourage you to walk by faith and not by sight. But maybe you haven't heard that. Maybe you have attempted up to this point in your life to earn God's love and to earn God's salvation by being a good girl, by being a good boy, by being a good person, by being better than your neighbor or better than your co-worker. And and if you're to um, rate your friends and your co-workers and your neighbors, you're at the top. Even I would rate you at the top. You're way better than some of them. But when compared to God, like it said of Abraham, you would fall so far short, it's not even funny. It's not even laughable to, to describe how short we would all fall. And this is why the, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that it Um, rests on faith. It rests on the Lord's grace. If we are saved by grace through faith, then we ought to also live by grace through faith. When you leave this place, Christian, having put your faith and trust in the Lord once and for all, live by faith in Him. When you're put to the test, I I don't have time, but we could jump to James chapter 2 and verse 20. And there James quotes Genesis 15, 6, but in a very different way. Rather than speaking about salvation by grace through faith, he says, if your faith doesn't show itself in works, then you really don't have faith in the first place. Christian, consider Does your faith show itself in its works? If not, we need to consider the source and author of our faith. We need to consider the the truth that we have believed once and for all. We are not saved by we're not saved by works, but we are saved for good works. Therefore, we ought to live by faith for good works, for the world to see, to honor and glorify the Lord. This portrait of Abraham is helpful because we see ourselves in Abram. We too could sing the song, not only uh, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, uh, but we could also sing the song uh, of how bitter it is when we don't trust in Jesus because we know what it tastes like we know what it feels like yet let's be encouraged let's be strengthened let's be challenged this morning once again to walk by faith again or maybe for you for the very first time to repent of your sins 
to trust Christ to save you, knowing that he has provided his one and only son as a sacrifice, as a substitute for you. Put your faith and trust in him and let that faith result in good works as we go out, not only individually into our own homes and our own neighborhoods, but as a church as a whole, as we have opportunities to shine the glory of God to the rest of the world. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask and pray that you would help us this week as no doubt we will be tested to walk by faith and not by sight, to obey you and trust you with the results. No doubt we will be put to the test. God, may we as your children, as your sons of promise, those future stars and those future grains of sand in the promises of Abraham or to Abraham, um, by faith, that we too would walk by faith. That we would increasingly uh, pass the tests that are before us knowing that the road will not be easy. The journey of faith uh, is not simple. God, would you help us? Not only do we have the promises to rest on, we have your Spirit to help us. Something Abraham was not privy to. Not only do we have the Spirit, we have the very Word of God written down for us to be able to enjoy at any moment's notice God, may you help us be a people who treasure your word and who freely share this treasure with others. May we be a people who freely give as we have been given to. God, help us. Help us to be a blessing to all the other nations of the world because we have first been blessed by you. Let us do it by faith. Because your promises rest on grace and faith. Help us, I pray, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.